difference between the term care and caring. Care is defined in the Oxford Dictionary as the provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone or something. Caring, on the other hand, is an adjective, and it's defined as showing kindness and concern for others. Care bundles are sort of a way of delivering a caring type of care, I guess, a sort of a way to deliver the best care. This is Microbe Mail, and I'm your host, Vindana Chibabai. My guest today is Leslie Devonish. It's great to have you join me on Microbe Mail today, Leslie. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Vin, and thank you for inviting me on your show. I trained in nursing an awful long time ago, trained at the Rand Afrikaans University, which is now known as the University of Joburg, mm-hmm. and postgraduate at University of South Africa. And I did infection control training both through VITS and through LETCA. I've been in infection prevention and control for 25 years. Wow. And for 11 of those years, I was in charge of IPC in the NetCare group. And I think the part of my job that I loved most at head office was the teaching part. And I left NetCare to run the infection prevention and control course through Prof Duze's department at VITS. And even though I'm retired now, I'm still running the IPC course through VITS Health Consortium online. So that's been quite a challenge to change to an online setup. So you've been through all kinds of teaching systems, the old, the new, the face-to-face, the online, all of it. (laughs) Yes, and I must say, the face-to-face is an awful lot easier than online teaching. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yeah, definitely is. So I'm also a granny, a very happy granny with four beautiful and very interesting grandchildren. (laughs) And I'm sure they adore you to bits. <laughs> yes, and I adore them. I'm sure, I'm sure. Okay, thanks, Leslie. So a couple of reminders for the listeners before we get into our discussion. Remember, you can sign up for updates on the Microbe Mail website. So every time we release a new episode, you'll get an email. We generally don't bombard you with mail, so go ahead and sign up on the website. You can follow us on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And all the links to our social media pages you'll find in the show notes of each episode. Remember to give us a rating on your favorite podcast player. We'd love to know whether you like MicroMail or not. And those five stars that you can give us can tell us a lot. Remember that MicroMail germs are actually for sharing, so go ahead and share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy the content. So let's talk best care, Leslie. Great. So I suppose the first place we need to start is by asking, what do we mean by best care bundles and what is the actual purpose of these bundles? I guess that's a good place to start. So a best care bundle in infection prevention and control refers to a small collection or bundle of best practice interventions that can be applied to the management of a disease process or condition. So in this bundle or collection, there are between four and five interventions or elements of the bundle, which have been selected by clinical experts. Each of these interventions is in itself or has in itself high quality evidence 
for improving the outcomes of the patient with that condition. But when these elements are grouped together and implemented consistently and reliably for every eligible patient every day, they result in substantially greater improvement of outcomes. Okay. So the bundles actually require an all or none approach. All the elements of the bundle are considered standard of care and were chosen because they were the simplest to implement and had the highest impact according to available evidence. And also what's important to know is that the elements are conservative. There's nothing experimental or off the wall. Mm -hmm. They have the lowest cost to implement. And most importantly, they're dichotomous so that they can be easily measured. Was mm -hmm. this element implemented today or not? So this is basically something that can be implemented anywhere, because as you said, it's the simplest and cheapest of each of the, the components. Absolutely. And their standard of care. Mm. It's things that we should be doing anyway. True. You wanted to add something, Leslie? Um, I just wanted to add that there are core measures for each bundle and then supplementary recommended measures, which can be added or, or should be added. But one should always start in a best care always implementation with the core elements of the bundle. Okay. Right. Great. So moving on then, the next obvious question would be, what are the specific types of bundles that have been shown to be effective in minimizing specifically healthcare-associated infections? Because that's generally where these best care bundles are used, not so. Yes, correct. So the four types of infections that cause the most morbidity and mortality in the hospital patients are then bloodstream infections that are central line related, urinary tract infections related to devices, mm -hmm. ventilator-associated pneumonia, and surgical site infections. So the bundles are named after these infections. Right. CLABSI, central line-associated bloodstream, CORTI, VAP, and SSI, or surgical site. Okay, great. So it's not an extensive list of several, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of bundles. They're four, and they're very simple and probably can be quite easy to then implement. They sound easier than <laughs> they are implement. Okay, all right. We'll talk a little bit more about <laughs> that. <in a bit. laughs> Trying to convince the listeners here. <laughs> so, um, so Leslie, then can you elaborate on the first one? Let's talk about the CLABSI bundle. Okay. The CLABSI bundle refers to primary bloodstream infections. In other words, those associated with the central line and not the secondary bloodstream infections, which are a complication following infections at other sites of the body. Right. The core CLABSI bundle focuses on proper insertion of the central line and then removing it as soon as it's no longer needed. So the first element of the bundle is hand hygiene, which means a surgical hand wash or surgical hand rub with alcohol-based hand rub. Mm -hmm. The next thing is maximal barrier precautions, which means the physician must don his surgical garb and the patient must be properly draped, obviously after their skin at the insertion site has been disinfected. The third element refers to this skin antisepsis and specifically requires disinfection with chlorhexidine 2% in 70% alcohol rather than any other antiseptic. Okay. The fourth element is optimal catheter site selection, 
with avoidance of the femoral vein if possible mm. due to the higher rate of infection with femoral lines. And the last element is the daily review of the necessity for keeping the line in situ and then with prompt removal of unnecessary lines. So even if the patient is still on antibiotics, these can be given via a peripheral line rather than leaving the central line in situ. Yes, and I think that last point is is quite an important one. Often you'll see that the patient still has a central line in, and the valid, you know, the the reason given is that no, no, the patient's still getting IV or the patient's still getting an antibiotic. But you don't need a central line specifically for that. Absolutely. So, listeners, this is just a little tidbit about CLABSIs, but if you are interested after listening to this episode, you can go back to Microbe Mail's episode number 20, which talks more about catheter-related bloodstream infections and is called Walking the Thin Line. So then, Leslie, seeing that urinary tract infections are in fact one of the most common healthcare-associated infections, and I think sometimes missed, could you tell us a little bit more about the bundle associated with, with catheter-associated UTIs? Yes, um, and catheter-associated UTIs are also unfortunately common in catheterized patients. Mm. And as you know, it can have very serious consequences. Mm. So there are also four components of the CORTI bundle. The first is to avoid unnecessary urinary catheters. Now, nurses <laughs> like incontinent patients to have catheters yeah. as this means less linen changing. Yeah. And so they must really connect with the rationale for this bundle. Or sometimes the patient requests the catheter to stay in because it means fewer trips to the toilet. Yes. My own mother was guilty of this after a hip replacement. It was jolly sore to get out of bed and go to the toilet. So she requested her catheter to stay in and developed an infection. So that's quite a hard one. Yeah, it is a difficult one. Mm. The next element is to insert these urinary catheters aseptically. The third element is to maintain the catheter based on recommended guidelines. And there are several including securing the catheter to the leg to prevent pistoning and urethral damage, keeping the bag below the bladder, as when the nurses turn the patient or when the patient must get up and walk. It gives me chills to see patients looping their urinary bag over the knob that adjusts the height of the drip that they're pushing along. And um, then periurethral care should be given 12 hourly and after bowel movements, keeping the bag and especially the outlet tap off the floor is important. Mm -hmm. Checking every few hours that there's no kinking in the tube or obstruction of the flow of urine. And then maintaining a closed drainage system is important. So please only ever take urine specimens from the specimen port on the tubing. Don't ever disconnect the tubing. The last core measure is to review the necessity of the catheter on a daily basis and to remove them promptly once they're no longer strictly necessary. There's in fact a protocol for judging when a urinary catheter is necessary called the Houdini protocol. I was just about to ask you, how would we know? <laughs> so I wonder if we should leave it as a teaser for people to go and find out what the Houdini protocol is or whether you'd like me to talk about it. 
I think actually, Leslie, that's a brilliant idea. Let's leave it as a teaser. And then maybe the listeners can tell us um, in the comments on social media or reply to us by email and tell us what they found. And then we'll put all of that together and I'll send it to you as a summary and we'll hopefully not have too much of a laugh, but we'll, we'll get the, the listeners on the right page. <laughs> okay, so so Houdini spelt like the magician, Houdini, the Houdini principle. Yes. Okay. Correct. All right, listeners, go and have a look and see what you find. <laughs> so I suppose the other thing to think about, and I, I, while you were talking about the patients requesting it, you know, it just hit home that we talk so much about educating clinicians and educating nurses, but actually the patients also need a fair bit of education when it comes to these concepts. Because, you know, it's probably just easier hanging it over the drip um, handle or hanging it over your shoulder or, you know, whatever it might be. And a fair bit of education needs to go into these. Yes, I, I think patients should be involved. And it's a difficult thing because... Patients are a little bit shy of requesting things from medical staff, but we really need to work more on empowering patients. Absolutely. So let's discuss one more bundle. Um, shall we chat about the bundle for preventing ventilator-associated pneumonias? Ooh, that's the hardest one, the most complicated bundle to implement, mm. not only because of the fact that management of VAP in a critically ill patient remains challenging. Uh, diagnosis is also challenging. <laughs> so package is challenging. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So in this bundle, there are five core elements for both adults and pediatric patients, although they're a little bit different for adults and babas. Mm. For adults, the components are firstly elevation of the bed above 30 degrees. Now that sounds so simple. Mm. But it's actually quite hard in practice. Patients slip down. Mm. So you have to do this, these workshops on how to place pillows when the bed is, the head of the bed is elevated. Or the nurses forget to raise the head of the bed after bed bathing. Or the physios forget to do the same. And how exactly are you meant to measure 30 degrees? So people don't keep compasses in the ward no, and guessing is is not a great idea mm. so the second element is mouth care and again the bundle stipulates two percent chlorhexidine and just a tip for clinicians this needs to be written up on the prescription chart the third is the daily assessment of sedation or the so-called sedation vacation and the spontaneous breathing trial ICU nurses hate this one because the possibility of patients becoming agitated and pulling out the tube is, is a real possibility. And they would prefer a physician to be on hand in the ICU before they will willingly implement this element. Mm. The fourth is subglottic secretion drainage, which carries, carries a cost factor as these specialized tubes with the drainage port are more expensive. And also you need to hire a suction machine because the wall suction in a hospital cannot be set low enough for subglottic suctioning. Ah. The last element is safe enteral nutrition within 24 hours, 
obviously, as long as the patient is adequately hydrated, hemodynamically stable, and has a functional gastrointestinal tract. So there are other VAP bundles in the literature. You may have heard of the mnemonics Fast Hug, mm. WAP, VAP, right. and Nightmares. These all have the core measures plus the other measures considered important by the physicians in that particular ICU. So the, you're right. This sounds really tricky, but I think it just comes back again to the whole problem of VAP, diagnosing it, managing, preventing it. Um, is actually quite tricky. I just wanted to know, how did they come up with 30 degrees? So, I mean, surely there were, cl- there were obviously clinical trials where they looked at yeah. you know, various elevations, but did they consider yes. translationally how that would work in an actual hospital setting? <laughs> so the, the actual elevation is, ideal elevation is 45 degrees. Right. But um, if you can't achieve 45 degrees, which is quite difficult, mm-hmm. then the patient must be at least, at least 30 a... degrees elevated. Okay. So there are different ways that have been tried. Um, the American hospitals put a mark on the wall where you needed to raise the head of the bed to. But that won't work in our hospitals because our beds travel around so much. They do. They mm-hmm. also had the technical department make them wooden measures so that they can measure 30 or 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. 45 degrees is actually easy because you can take a piece of paper and fold it. Right. And from a 90 degree angle, you'll get a 45 degree angle quite easily. Mm. And we found that quite useful in the ICUs because the ICU chart is a big piece of paper. And if you fold that, it gives you a very good indication of where 45 degrees is. Mm. But nurses are not very good at estimating whether it's 20 or 30 degrees. So that this is this is where the the detail comes in. And we know the devil is always in the detail, is how to achieve these the implementation of the elements. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I personally don't think I'd be very good with distinguishing 20 versus 30 degrees either. <laughs> You know, again, we're talking about different um, resources. So there's high resource settings, there's lower resource settings. So can these bundles actually be be implemented in any healthcare setting? And from a South African perspective, and I think many other countries in the world, there's public versus the private sector. And that just means the difference in, in the resources available in the two settings but also in the different types of hospitals. And we know, again, that you might get tertiary and academic hospitals versus regional and district hospitals or community hospitals. Can it be applied across the board? Vin, that's that's an interesting question because these bundles have been applied across all hospitals in in our country, some more successfully than others. Obviously, the CLABSI and VAP bundles are mainly implemented in ICUs. So -hmm. if the hospital has an ICU, it can be implemented there. Mm. The SSI bundle is mostly implemented in operating theatres. So again, if the hospital has an operating theatre, it can be done. But any hospital, including rehabilitation hospitals, can implement the CORTI bundle. That, That goes across all sectors and all hospitals. So they have been implemented in in hospitals in South Africa across the board. Successfully so. So those that haven't implemented it, there are sufficient success stories to take on from there. Yes, absolutely. 
So moving on from that very point, though, I think what everyone thinks is, you know, in the public sector, there are just so many challenges. But um, perhaps we can discuss what these challenges, in fact, are. So then I think the challenges, main challenge in both sectors, public and private, is to inspire staff to connect with the necessity for the bundles Mm. and also to position the implementation so that nurses don't see it as extra work or nursing paper instead of patients, mm. but really things that we should be doing anyway and that we're just ensuring that the outcome for these patients is the best possible. Right. And I think when, you, when you're talking about the outcome for the patient, you'll get nurses connecting and something that's it's very important in motivating staff to connect with the bundle is by telling stories, stories of patients who've had these infections and the complications that they developed, the costs to them, how it affected their families. The Americans did this very well with um, celebrities talking about when family members or their own children or parents were in hospital and and how that affected them when they when they got one of these infections. That's so clever. Is there is there a website link or something that you know the listeners could go to to find that information? So anything on the IHI, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement okay. website, they will be able to find the stories. And I think the Canadian one is called Safer Healthcare Now. Okay. So they can Google those too. That's a great. Thanks. So in terms of actually establishing or implementing a particular bundle, because you'd want to do this one at a time to make sure that it's appropriately implemented, et cetera, what are the requirements that a unit or a hospital would have to look at? Okay. The first requirement for any implementation is to establish your BCA team or best care always team. Mm-hmm. You cannot expect a single person, whether it's a nurse or a doctor in an ICU, to expect to implement the bundle. They, they're not going to succeed without support from a team. And that team has to include management, doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, dietitians, and so on. Then there must be a champion identified, preferably someone who maintains a high visibility in the unit. And there must be a process owner identified who can raise concerns and maintain progress and motivation. For example, calling huddles on a a daily or or weekly basis. So this is just getting everybody around and discussing how the bundle is going, what the issues are, and what we can do about them. And usually this person, the process owner, also collates the statistics and gives feedback so after having after putting your team together and obviously a lots of education and perusal of the literature and the bundles, both IHI and Safer Healthcare now have how to implement the bundles, the um, how-to um, documents, mm-hmm. and they they give you really detailed information about how to go about implementing from start to higher levels of implementation. So. Then comes the comes an important part of making resources available. So, for example, to implement the CLABSI bundle, 
there must be a cab seat tray or a trolley set up and always available in ICU so that you don't have to always send staff running off to theatre to fetch PPE for the, for the physician or to fetch drapes for draping the patient. So that's the kind of thing that you need to spend a bit of time and not necessarily money on, but just ensuring that your equipment is always available. And then most important, everybody needs to know what we are trying to measure and how to collect the data. So this includes denominator data like patient days or device days. And obviously this, this is easier if you have this kind of system in place. If you don't have an electronic system in place in your hospital, and not, not many of the public hospitals do, you need to decide who is going to collect that data mm. and when. It's, it's easy to collect it in the day, but at night and on weekends, there also has to be some thought around who will collect the data, like device days yes. at those times. So quite a few things to have to consider. But as you said, these are all well written up, their protocols, their guidelines, their step-by-step documents on what to do, when to do it. But I think for me, the take home from what you just spoke about now is that bottom line, this is not the job of the IPC nurse, but it is very much a multidisciplinary approach to involving everybody um, involved in the patient's care. Absolutely, Vin. And can you can choose your IPC nurse to be a champion. I don't think she should be the champion for the whole hospital, but she can be one of the champions. Mm. And she can certainly call huddles, he or she, I should say. They could certainly call the huddles and ask how it's going on and brainstorm the solutions. But but you're quite right. It is a team that needs to do this together. Mm. So you've already spoken about the elements of, of measurement But what is the bundle compliance that one should actually work towards in a unit? Okay. Measurement is expressed in rates for CLABSI, CORTI, and BAP. Mm -hmm. So it's the number of infections per thousand device days per month. For SSI, it's usually a percentage per hundred operations per month. So it's terribly important with measurement to display it so people can actually see the progress. Mm. and analyze the feedback. So you need to have tools like checklists on the ICU charts, and you need to graph your results on run charts so that you can measure progress over time. It's only with a run chart that you'll be able to see as, as the months go by and as your compliance to the elements increases, you'll be able to see whether your, your infection rate goes down so linking to a, to the previous question about the differences between public and private, I mentioned that public hospitals often don't have electronic systems yes. for counting data. Yes. So it is a bit easier in the private hospitals, which, which do have this, but it's certainly not impossible to do manually. It will need a little bit more commitment from management regarding mm. staffing. Not that they have to produce more staff, but they have to give the staff who've been allocated to collect the data dedicated time in the day or in the night or on the weekend when they are just collecting data and not available for anything else in the Mm. unit. And there doesn't have to be a lot of time for counting the device days. You would probably need half an hour 
for counting all the devices and then for recording them in whatever manner that you have decided on. The bundle compliance that should be aimed for is 100% of all elements <laughs> implemented every day for every eligible patient. However, everybody has to start somewhere. So the first thing one has to do, to do is to establish the current infection rate. So if your infection rate is 10 VAP infections per 1,000 device days, mm-hmm. then you need to set a reasonable but bold goal for the next mm-hmm. six months and set it for a period of time so that people know there is an end in sight and then you can reassess after six months or 18 months, whatever your project goal is going to be and see what you've already got in place, what has become part of your daily care in that unit and what you need to focus on next. So it's a work in progress, Mm. but we do want 100% the all or none approach. It sounds reasonable. I mean, every patient is a patient's life. And there is no one life that's more important than another. So it should be 100%. Absolutely. Now, Leslie, I know you've played a huge role in implementing bundles across South Africa. So it'd be really nice to hear from you and your experience what has been the most rewarding outcomes. Gosh, okay. And I think the greatest reward was seeing how the teams came together and communicated more about patient care and how all the staff were drawn into improvement of care. Even the assistant nurse who emptied the catheter bags Mm. now knew that it was important that she also check that the catheter bag and its tap opening was off the floor at all stages. Mm. And then, of course, to see the infection statistics falling steadily as the compliance rates improved. I think an absolute high for me was the first run of several months of no central line infections over a group of more than 60 hospitals. Wow. So that was great. And overseas hospitals have also reported this, several months with no VAP infections or CLABSI infections. Yeah, as much as we say we're low middle income and we resource limited, it can be done. It can be done. You are right, Vin. That's wonderful, Leslie. Um, and then we always try on microbe mail to address different age groups. And we try and also remember that pediatric patients are patients as well. So are there any particular units, you know, neonates versus ab- adults where the implementation of the bundles you think would be particularly useful or different from the other bundles you've mentioned? Yes, then I, I do think, well, in fact, the bundles are different for adult and pediatric units in, in some of the bundles. So, for example, the VAP bundle for adults is elevation of the head of the bed, mouth care, sedation vacation, subglottic secretion drainage, and safe enteral nutrition. Whereas for pediweeds, it's also elevation of the head. Then they have proper positioning of oral or nasal gastric tubes. Mm-hmm. Oral care is also included for babies, elimination of the use of instilled saline for suctioning, and then keeping the ventilator tubing in a dependent position. So they can be slightly different for babies, but it's very, very important to do this in all ICUs, whether it's neonates or peds or adult ICUs. Right. Okay. So important to know um, which setting you're working in and make sure you use the appropriate bundle. 
Yes, correct. So on that that note of talking about children, we have almost come to the end of the episode, but we have a spotlight feature. And the spotlight feature for today is a mini microbe message. So Leslie, I've got a lovely message for you if you'd like to take a listen. Hello everyone, my name is Gamukhala and I am 10 years old and I live in Johannesburg, South Africa. Fun facts about mosquitoes. Mosquitoes can cause many diseases in people like malaria and Zika, and Zika virus infection. But did you know these interesting things about mosquitoes? Fact number one, mosquitoes have been around since the dinosaurs. Fact number two, only female, only the female mosquitoes bite humans and animals. They need the blood to, to help their eggs develop. Otherwise, both male and female mosquitoes will feed on fruit. And finally, fact number three, my favorite and funniest fact factor of all, mosquitoes are most more likely to bite someone who recently drank beer or ha- has stinky feet. <laughs> so now you know why some people in the family get bitten more than others. Thank you. I think that's very cute, Kamafelo. I didn't know about the stinky feet and the beer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about the stinky feet and the beer either. But apparently in mosquito control areas, they actually design traps with the five most attractive smells for mosquitoes and uh, fermented barley for beer and a smell that simulates stinky feet is apparently pretty high up there. <laughs> so always wash your feet before you go to bed, I think is the moral of the story. <laughs> All right, Leslie, we're almost at the end. So do you have a quick take-home message for our listeners? Yes, I do. The most important message that I have for Dr. Champions and IPC nurses is take your feet and go and see because those that say oh we do that when you check do not in fact Mm. do it all every time so education is the first important step but audit and feedback are what actually change behavior Leslie, thank you so, so much for joining me today. This was an incredibly insightful discussion, and I myself have learned so much as well. I hope you'll agree to join me again sometime soon. Thank you, Vin. It's my pleasure, and I look forward to it. Wonderful. One last reminder to the listeners, remember to subscribe, rate, and share. And so until next time, that's it from me. Vin and the entire Microbe Mail team will see you again soon with more Contagious Mail. Ooh.